is a pay-per-view fight week for the UFC as we get ready for UFC 270 on Saturday night. A heavyweight matchup, literally, as we have Francis Ngannou and Cyril gone on Saturday night. This is a blockbuster. I cannot wait for this card on Saturday. We also have to rewind and talk about what was potentially the fight of the year. The first card of 2022, and we already have a fight of the year candidate with the main event featuring Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze. I am Colby Daniels, along with Will Brewer. Will, happy pay-per-view fight week. What is happening, my friend? Man, it, this this whole week, it feels big. I mean, not, not because we're dealing with uh, these two monster heavyweights uh, that we got in the main event of UFC 270, but this whole this whole thing, everything that's surrounding it, uh, the, the pay-per-view week, it feels big. Um, I'm excited for it, man. I am so excited. There's nothing like a UFC pay-per-view week. This is a monster fight, right? In terms of just the heavyweight champion, the baddest man on the planet, the skill set of these two guys, the backstory with these two guys being in the same camp, like th th there's so many interesting dynamics to this. And I still kind of feel like this thing has been undersold, underpromoted, and it is not nearly as big of a deal in the in, in the, I don't, I don't want to say like casual circles, but just in the mainstream sports circles, this thing should be a way bigger deal than it is. The hardcores absolutely love this, right? UFC fans absolutely love this, but this should be one of those matchups, one of those fights that supersedes just UFC fandom, right? This should be one of those fights that SportsCenter's talking about for an entire week, and I think a, a big part of why it isn't is because of the Francis Ngannou Dana White UFC battle, if you will, between what he wants to make financially. And it just feels like here we are a few days out from this fight happening and it's not nearly the spectacle that it should be. Yeah, man, it, it's sad because you have these two mammoth guys. Uh, these guys are chiseled. Uh, everything that you would want out of a heavyweight champion, both of these guys are. Uh, Surreal Ghan, the, the skill set that he has, I mean, it speaks for itself. And then Francis the one, I mean, we've seen Francis grow um, as a fighter. Uh, we've seen him from his debut as kind of a green type guy, just knocking people out, and that, and now we're finally starting to see him uh, develop some some skills, uh, some MMA skills and stuff. But you're right, man. This fight should be, uh, in terms of being sold, like this should be sold as this heavyweight uh, monster fight, mega fight, and it's it's not because of this whole this whole thing with Francis and and Dana White. They, the UFC knows what they what they're doing. They're not selling this because they don't want Francis to have any type of leverage. Right. They want Francis if he loses this fight, they want Francis to be crawling on his knees back to the UFC. Basically, I'll do whatever you want, what you know that type of thing. But I, I'm of the um, how I feel. I think Francis, win or lose, should stand his ground. Win or lose, he's worth a lot. He, there's a lot of money to be made with a guy like Francis Ngannou. Francis sees that, his management sees that, but the UFC, I don't know. I don't know why they don't see it that way. Uh, I mean, Francis should be on the level of a Conor McGregor, of a Masvidal, of a Khabib. He does literally everything that, that they do, everything that, that Conor and, and Jorge does to sell these fights with their skill set. That's what Francis does. He just doesn't talk, but Francis doesn't need to talk. He lets his fighting do the talking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It, it, it's a missed opportunity uh, for the UFC uh, but, I mean, this fight still, for the hardcores, it'll do the trick. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely geeked about this. And, you know, it's it's not going to how much it's promoted is not going to change my excitement level. I know it's not going to change your excitement level. But we're talking, you know, we, we've done nothing but talk about the growth of this sport over the last two years and how much they capitalized on just the situation where COVID shut everything down and they were the only thing happening and how many new eyeballs they got. And you have this new champion with Francis Ngannou that is as physically imposing as any person the UFC has ever had on contract. And, you know, this is a this is a comic book character type heavyweight champion that you have on your hands. And you know what the mainstream sports cycle is the week of a Conor McGregor fight, right? Like it's it's in the the mainstream sports news cycle when Conor McGregor is going to be fighting. And, you know, ESPN, for example, will have top dogs talking about this the week of a Conor McGregor fight. And I feel like Francis Ngannou's superstardom, coupled with the fact that Cyril Gaon has the chance to be equally that type of superstar based on his start and these two guys clashing and the backstory. And it's it's not. And it's it's so disappointing that this kind of just feels like, in in a way, it's like the UFC versus Francis Ngannou as we get ready for this fight, as opposed to, you know, what, what, what we should all be talking about. And that is, you know, one of the most exciting and electrifying heavyweight championship matchups that we've ever witnessed. Yeah, the ma- the matchup itself, it's, it's so good. Uh, if you were to build a guy to to rival what Francis brings to the table in terms of his uh, his speed, uh, his explosiveness, his knockout power, you would build a guy like Cyril Gaon, a guy who's yeah. defensively sound, who uh, who's light on his feet. Like you would you would build a guy like Cyril Gaon who whose IQ is through the roof. And we've seen so much from Cyril Gaon, and he's only like I believe it's eleven or twelve fights into the UFC. 10. If you ask, it, it seems like Cyril is the is the veteran here, and Francis is the. Uh, is the is the guy who's green, but it's, it's really the other way around. Francis yeah. is the one who's had all these UFC fights, but Surreal's the one who's got all this octagon time. It's like the the matchup. It, it, it's crazy, but that's kind of the last thing that people talk about when this fight is being brought up. The first thing we talk about is the contract situation. You know, with Francis and the UFC. If that wasn't enough, you got Francis, who's got this rivalry with this with who is Surreal's coach now. Yeah. Um, with his former coach, that's being talked about. And then toward like surreal is kind of being thrown towards the the bottom of the barrel. Like even before that, you, you're hearing Francis and Tyson Fury talks and yeah. all this different stuff. But Francis and surreal gone, this mega fight, this this promoter's dream of a matchup is not being talked about. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's it, you, you mentioned surreal gone at the bottom of that news sto- news cycle of all those different headlines. He's also the betting favorite. Will <laughs> over the heavyweight champion. And yeah. let me just mention this too. I do think it's comical and somewhat of a dig, I think, from the UFC to call this a heavyweight unifying title fight, right? Uh. Like, it's so ridiculous. You and I made fun of that when Derek Lewis and Cyril Gon fought for the interim, right? Like, it's an interim title, whatever. But, like, let's not get under this illusion that whoever wins this is a UFC heavyweight champion because we have an active champion who wants to fight and is healthy and as devastating as anybody the sport has ever seen. So this is a championship fight with the champion Francis Ngannou against the challenger Surreal Gone, not two champions matching up against each other. And again, despite the fact that Surreal Gone's the betting favorite going into this, what an unbelievable matchup. But again, it's just kind of it feels like it's a twist of the knife a little bit from the UFC toward Francis Ngannou. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like Francis had just become champion uh, March of 2021. Uh, Surreal became the interim champion in August of 2021. There, that's only yeah. five months. There's no reason for there to be any type of interim champion within five months of, of a guy becoming champion. That's just uh, that's blasphemous uh, in, in my mind. Uh, and then, you know, I heard Dana on an interview uh, say like he was talking about how good this matchup was. And then he was like, and on top of that, this is the unification of two champs. I was like, no, no. Oh. Like, you know, I'm a you know, I, I've been tooting Surreal Gon's horn for, you know, all this time yeah. since he's been coming up. But I will be the first to say Sur- Surreal Gon is the number one contender for the heavyweight championship. That's all he is. He is not uh, a champion right now. For if if he's to become champion, he beats the undisputed champion Francis Ngannou on Saturday. That's right. Until then, I mean, it, it's great that uh, he became he became interim champion because the UFC needed a, a title to be on the main event. But you know, I'm sure Srill doesn't even think he's a champion right now. The champion is Francis Ngannou. Srill is the challenger, and we go from we we find out who the man is on Saturday. But right now, as of this moment, the man is Francis Ngannou. Surreal Gone made his UFC debut in August of 2019, right? So we're talking about a little over two and a half years since he's been in the UFC. Right. Francis Ngannou entered the UFC in December of 2015. So a four-year difference, which in the fight game is an eternity, right? So Francis Ngannou is this veteran that feels like he's been around forever. Surreal Gone is the young prospect or whatever you want to call him, right? Like... He's been in in the UFC for for two and a half years. He has a total of ten fights, and yet he is the favorite. And collectively, this week, I've heard the more skilled fighter, the more well rounded fighter, right? And and look, I, I'm not disputing any of that, but I do think it's just a, a really interesting dynamic. And I, I had to pull up some tweets that I made going back to the night that he beat Derek Lewis for the title. So if you rewind to August of 2021. When Cyril Gon beat Derek Lewis, here's what I tweeted at that time. This is mind blowing. Cyril Gon has gained a ton of experience in four fights over the last eight months, where he has accrued 71 minutes and 45 seconds of octagon time in an eight month period. That's not his entire UFC career. That's just in an eight month period because he was as busy as anybody to close out 2020 and and 2021. Four fights in eight months for Cyril Gon in which he was in the octagon fighting for over 71 minutes. Francis Ngannou, as we sit here today, is on a five-fight win streak that dates back to 2018. Over the course of that five-fight win streak, Francis Ngannou has been in the octagon for a total of eight minutes and 34 seconds. Does, does that, that includes the Stipe fight, right? The second one? Yes. So a majority of that eight minutes was the second Stipe fight. So... Four, the four fights before that was a com- probably a combined minute and a half or something. Yeah. Something crazy like that. Yeah. Like, Fra- Francis has barely been in the octagon. And, and it's not really uh, a fault of his because during the pandemic and even when Stipe and DC were, were having their trilogy and all this stuff, Francis was begging for fights. No one was stepping up to the plate. He finally got a fight with, uh, with Jarzinho Rosenstrike. That fight lasted all of 20 seconds. And then he had to wait a year just to get a title fight. Yeah. And then he gets he finally gets the job done, but like you said, Cyril Gan it seems like he's the veteran here. Yeah. He's got all of this octagon time and Francis 
it still kind of seems like he's the, he's the prospect. Like it seems like the roles are reversed here. Yeah. But Francis is the champion. I mean, I, I feel like that's why he's the betting underdog because of the way we we've kind of seen Surreal gone in these in these moments. Uh, Twenty five minutes. We we know what the what the recipe is. There's still so many questions in regards to Francis. What happens when he gets out of the the first round? What happens when he gets out of the second round? What happens when he gets into deep waters? We've seen him one time get into the championship rounds. And he, it, it didn't really go well for him, you know, but how much has he grown in that time? We don't know because he's still yeah. the, uh, a devastator. He's, he's still everybody. a destroyer. He's still yeah. knocking people out in, in 20 seconds. Right. So, and, and even we saw a, a small sample size um, when he fought Stipe. Uh, we saw uh, what happens when he, uh, when someone shoots for a takedown, we've seen that he's been working on that. And, uh, We've seen a very calculated, very patient Francis throughout that whole fight. And uh, we've seen that that he's grown. But when he's fighting a guy like Cyril Ghosn, who doesn't make mistakes, who who's going to be fighting him at a distance, who's going to be just as patient, if not more patient than Francis will be on fight day, who whose IQ is through the roof. Like this is a this is a big ask <laughs> for Francis and Ghosn in, in my mind. We know the knockout power, but yeah. this is a big ask fighting a guy Who's so who's so skilled and so patient? You know, this is a big ass for him. Skilled, patient, athletic, well-rounded, and we're yeah. talking about the challenger here. Francis Ngannou again, just just going on the five-fight win streak that he's on. Knocked out Curtis Blades in 45 seconds. Knocked out Cain Velasquez in 26 seconds. JDS in a minute 11 seconds. Jarzinho 20 seconds, and then you had going into the second round with Stipe. Which, like you said, I mean, of that eight minutes that Francis Ngannou has been in the octagon over those five fights, which dates back three years, 90% of that is the Stipe fight. Yeah. And Surreal Gone, again, going back to last August, had fought four times in an eight-month eight period and had acquired 71 minutes of fight time. That's bananas to me. Not only 71 minutes of fight time, but this is 71 minutes of, like, flawless fight time. Like... We didn't see Surreal take m much damage, if any damage. We saw Surreal just have kind of these masterpieces against guys who we thought would, you know, present some type of problems. Like, you wanted to see Jarzinho against a guy who's, uh, who's got big knockout power like Jarzinho. Yeah. He, he, he beats him. He, you want to see Surreal fight a guy who's got the size like Alexander Volkov. He has his way with him. JDS, the guy who, with experience, he has his way with him. Like, we've seen Surreal fight all these different types of heavyweights and just have his way. Flawless, 71 minutes over the last eight months. I mean, even his first few fights in the UFC, he's winning by submission. We've seen so much of Surreal's game. Yeah. And we haven't seen anybody have any type of, uh, any, any type of answer for it. He but made all those fights look really easy, right? Really easy. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that for for Francis that presents some type of comfort is the fact that they did train together for for a while and that for a while that and that you know you hear these stories Cyril got the better Francis got the better but even then Francis has an idea a better idea of how Cyril operates than most heavyweights than pretty much everyone that Cyril's going to fight because yep. they've had these interactions and training and stuff so in that aspect that makes this fight even more intriguing that Francis has a little bit on Cyril, and Cyril has a little bit on Francis on how their games really operate. And then the coach. I mean, the coach knows Francis pretty much inside and out. Yeah. Like, this is the guy who yeah. built Francis up. You know, like, so many layers to this fight, man. It's crazy.
I mean, this is uh, this is on the Mount Rushmore for me of uh, title fights that I've been excited for without question. But in the heavyweight division, yeah. or just in, yeah, in the heavyweight division, I, it, yeah. I, I'm with you, man. I, I, for me, I think this is prob this has to be number one. I mean, I mean, you know, there there was the Kane and JDS yeah. that was pretty good that, that trilogy, and then of course Steep and DC. But there's too much into that goes into this fight. Those trilogies were great, but. The, the contract, the the coaching, the, the the former training partners, all of that, and then the skill set. There's there's so much to love in this fight. Yeah. I mean, for me, this might be the top. The second DC Stipe fight, I was pretty geeked for. Uh, I mean, of the of the trilogy, I think the second one probably had me the most excited of the three going into the fight. But even with that, like we're talking about, and this is not any disrespect toward those two guys, but athletically. What Cyril Gaon and Francis Ngannou are capable of doing and how they match up to me is on the excitement scale in another ballpark from from any one of those three DC Stipe fights. Absolutely. Agreed 100%. Like these guys are like the elite of the elite in terms of that size, that that strength and power and ability and agility and movement. Like this is as good as it gets in the world. In that department. I mean, these guys are world-class athletes and they can finish you with power, but they also have the speed of, you know, welterweights, essentially. Like, it's right. crazy. Francis is like the prototypical heavyweight that you want to build. Uh, you want to build a, a Mike Tyson type guy uh, who, who's tall, chiseled, but has the knockout power of Mike Tyson, who has yeah. the star appeal and all that stuff. That's what Francis Ngannou is. But then you got a surreal Ngannou who comes in and... I don't even think that you, if you want to build a heavyweight, you build a surreal gun like this. Like surreal is something that we just haven't seen before. Like yeah. when you hear Joe Rogan and DC talk about surreal, they just seem so impressed by his movement. Like we haven't seen anything that's even that's even close to how surreal strikes, how he moves. We haven't seen anything like that in heavyweight division. He moves right. like a, a legit lightweight welterweight. Yeah. Uh, he is a complete outlier to this heavyweight division. He is what the heavyweight division could potentially grow into when you see some of these uh, young guys like the Aspinalls and uh, all these young guys coming up. Surreal Gone is basically that already. And Francis is the prototypical heavyweight already. Like, that's what makes this matchup so intriguing. This matchup is, it's crazy good, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I, it's, we've spent 20 minutes, I mean, hyping this thing up in a fight week where it should be built already. And uh, it's, I, I, I just think it's it's super underappreciated right now for what these two guys are physically and what they what they mean in terms of this matchup and how they uh, potentially match up against each other and yeah it's it's just on another level and I I cannot wait for this matchup on Saturday night. Um, all right, let's uh, let's rewind to last Saturday, Will. I know that it felt like an eternity from the final fight card of 2021 until we got to this first fight card to kick off 2022. Fight card was awesome, uh, but look, I mean, we're going to talk about these other fights, but everything that happened on Saturday night pales in comparison to what we watched in the main event with Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze. Holy cow, we knew this had the chance to be a great fight. And as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm literally having the thought, like, this is going to be a tough beat in terms of fight of the year. It's the first main event of the year, and this is going to be in the conversation for fight of the year the entire year for the next 12 months holy cow what a fight yeah man i mean there was a lot of questions regarding calvin cater 
Uh, you knew what Giga brought to the table with his kicks and everything, but there was just a lot of questions with Calvin coming off of that Max Holloway fight. Um, you just didn't, you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, we, we've seen Giga, like, maybe, we saw Giga probably two or three times last year, and it was every performance you kind of thought, okay, Giga's getting better and better. So when you go to this fight, you see, you understand why the odds were what they were. Yeah. I thought that the odds should have been a little closer, but you understand why people were so high on Giga. But there was a lot of questions regarding Calvin, and man, did he answer the bell? I mean, man, what a performance coming off of that Max fight, man. I mean, he did, he wasn't afraid. He was in the fire. Uh, he really took it to Giga for five rounds. And I'll admit, you know, in the first round, you know, Giga came out pretty aggressive. But, you know, that when when Calvin was able to present the wrestling into this fight, that was something that I didn't think we would see. I didn't think we would see uh, any wrestling exchanges. I thought this would be on the feet the entire time. But for Calvin to be able to have a chance to present the wrestling, to hold him down for a round, I think that changed the, the entire fight. 100%. It because it, it presented the wrestling, so it gave Giga something extra to think about. And then it the just grappling itself, you you see how much it takes out of guys when when they when they wrestle, when they're grappling for a round, when they're on the bottom with someone's weight on top of them. You know, it takes so much out of you. And I think that took that first round took a lot out of Giga. And he Giga showed massive amounts of toughness. Yeah. Just to want to be in a firefight like that for five rounds with a guy like Calvin Cater who punches so hard, who's a primarily a boxer. I mean both guys showed supreme toughness. Calvin Cater showed that, man, he's still a problem in this featherweight division. What a fight, man. What a fight. It was it was absolutely stunning. And, you know, that first round, I think, tells the story because when you look at what was happening in the first two minutes of that first round, Will, that's what I thought the fight was going to look like, right? Like, right. I thought that's absolutely. what the entirety of the fight was going to look like. Giga was clearly the quicker guy. And, you know, we talked about this last week in terms of Calvin Cater being the the boxer and Giga being the kickboxer and just all the different ways that, that Giga is going to find to to hit you. He's going to kick you from all these different angles. And like, it just felt like his striking arsenal was greater than Calvin Cater's. And we saw that for, for the first two minutes, right? Like he was so much quicker. Those kicks were piping in there. I mean, like a piston in and out and all of a sudden, and let me, let me do say this also. I thought Giga's takedown defense was phenomenal in this fight. He fought off takedowns tremendously the entire way but the one that was most important was the one where calvin got him off balance right it wasn't even really like you can't even i don't even know that i call that bad takedown defense because it was he was off balance and credit to calvin cater he, he took him down in that opportunity but we never saw giga look physically the same he was on the ground for three minutes and in that second round when they were standing up again he wasn't nearly as quick and then i think the physical toll that 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 took on him as far as the grappling combined with the fact that Calvin Cater's pressure the rest of the way was so suffocating and you add his constant pressure to Giga being a little bit physically diminished from the grappling in that first round and the kicks were out of the equation, right? Like that was the advantage that we gave Giga. We thought this was going to be two of the elite strikers at that division, but we just, I think we both felt like Giga just had more to offer in that type of fight. But because of what happened in the first round, and then add it, you add Calvin Cater's pressure, the kicks were no longer part of the arsenal. And all of a sudden, if you take the kicks out of it, like Giga's not the same boxer that Calvin is, right? And then the dirty boxing and the elbows, uh, it just it, it added up. I thought both guys took a ton of massive shots. Like, 
for as much as we're talking about the toughness of Giga in this fight, which he showed incredible toughness, he should have been finished, right? Like, the amount of damage he took for him to just keep going, I think, is just an unbelievable testament to his toughness. But Calvin Cater, in the early rounds of this fight, took some massive shots. And I, I think that the biggest testament to him is it never really changed how he fought or it never prevented him from going forward or anything, right? Like, he ate shot after shot after shot in the early rounds and never, never changed or never put his foot on the brakes or anything. And I would have bet that, that it was going to go the other way, right? Like as those kicks started to add up, that it was Giga that probably ends up going forward. And the toughness that Calvin Cater showed in those early rounds to eat those shots and not change his game plan, I thought was, uh, was equally as impressive as the toughness Giga showed with eating the amount of shots that he ate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both guys showed... Uh, tremendous amounts of toughness uh, for for Giga to just withstand all of that pressure. Like it seemed like Calvin, once he got that takedown, I think he just knew he could just feel that yeah. that wasn't the same Giga that was in front of him in the first round. The rest of the fight, his pressure was was so suffocating. It was incredible. Uh, you know, it's already tiring enough to go through a first round like that when you're uh, having to wrestle and stuff. But, you you know, you hear the commentators talk about it all the time. Having to go back, having to fight someone going backwards the, the entire fight, that is extremely exhausting. And it kind of seemed like towards the end, like Giga was barely holding it together. Yeah. I was kind of waiting on Calvin to just land that shot to put him down. But Giga just was was there. He just showed how tough that he is. Uh, but that, man, Calvin's pressure. I mean, I, I, I did not expect that. Like, like you said, I thought that Giga's kicks – that Giga was going to be able to maintain a distance because of how dangerous his kicks were. But just how how tired that he was after the first round, it allowed Calvin to just, okay, I can eat a few of these kicks. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's not the the danger factor um, it isn't as, as high as it, as it was. So I think once Calvin, you know, tasted that, felt that, uh, it was just, you know, it was to the races for him. And like you said, Giga without the kickboxing, without the kicks, when if it's just straight a straight boxing match, I don't think that there's any there wasn't anything to fear for Calvin. No, in, in a straight up boxing match, we that's what that's what's going to happen ten times out of ten. Calvin is going yes. to walk him down, and Calvin is going to have his way with Giga Chikate in a straight up boxing match. Yeah. Those kicks, but Giga's kicks are so lethal. Like you saw what happened to a a tough guy like Cub Swanson when he took a flush kick to the liver from Giga. You saw what what happened with Edson Barbosa. Giga knocked him out. So I and mean, you the saw what happened in the first two minutes of that matchup, right? Like Giga was Giga was the more successful fighter in those first two minutes before that takedown by a lot. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could tell that Calvin respected those kicks yeah. because we didn't see any forward pressure. We saw Calvin just ready. He was on the defensive. He knew what was coming. He knew how aggressive that he was going to be. But as soon as he, as soon as that opportunity opened to present the wrestling, yeah. I mean, for Calvin to, to just jump on it like that, I mean, it shows tons of fight IQ and all I could think about Watching Calvin Cater, I mean, despite how impressive that he was, I was just thinking, like, man, how fucking good is Max Holloway? Yeah, yeah. For for him to land over 700 strikes on that I dude, think, I think it was either to it was either attempted or whatever the case was. He it was a record. I remember that. But for for Max to just how good is Max? Like that's crazy for Calvin to be, to do that to Giga and for Max to do that to Calvin. That just shows like this gap 
like that Levels. gap is really apparent to me now yeah. uh, between Max and Volk and the rest of the division. But Calvin took a step. I think that Max fight, he took a step from that Max fight for sure. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, you know, we had the conversation about, you know, how's Calvin going to bounce back from taking a beating like that, right? That's always an interesting conversation. And it obviously turned him into something different, right? Like he learned from it. And he, he's a better fighter because of it. I think that's going to be the case with Giga as well, right? Giga's going to be out for a while after taking that kind of beating to, to just recover, you know, before you can even start training again. Giga's going to be a better fighter. Let's, I mean, Brian Ortega, the beating he took from Max Holloway, right? And then he comes back after a year layoff and looked phenomenal, phenomenal against Korean Zombie. And then he participates in a fight of the year candidate against Volk. Like, some of these guys have taken these five-round beatings and taking the, the, the proper amount of time off to not only let your body recover, but to mentally prepare for that next step. And again, we've seen Brian Ortega come out on the other side of that as a better fighter. Now we've seen Calvin Cater come out on the other side of that as a better fighter. And you have to imagine that uh, Giga Chikadze is going to come out whenever it is that he fights again. Maybe it's a year from now, but you have to imagine Giga Chikadze is going to be a much better fighter the next time we see him in the octagon. And, you know, all of a sudden, Will, this was a division where, at 145, and I still think to a large degree it is Volk and Max and then everybody else, but when you look at, you know, that that top 10 especially, that drop-off doesn't feel nearly as drastic with what we've watched over the last six months. I mean, after Volk and Max, you start talking about Calvin Cater, Brian Ortega, Korean Zombie still right there. We just saw Yair Rodriguez against Max Holloway, which, look, Yair looked better against Max than Ortega or Calvin did, right? And then you have Josh Emmett waiting in the wings. There's G Giga Chikadze, who is still, I think, he's still a killer in my mind. He's still a guy that I think is is a, a couple fights away from maybe being right back in a title-type conversation if he bounces back the right way. This division is loaded. Yeah, I mean, you really got to give uh, credit to, to Volk and Max. Like, you, you really realize how good that they are. But the, the rest of the division, it's still, like, you know, like you said, Max and Volk have been taking the bulk of, of the featherweight attention, but we have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, these guys are building themselves up to really be problems in this division. When you fight a, when you fight guys like Max and Volk who are levels ahead, when you when you take when you take on that upper echelon, you really you really start to figure out what's what's missing in your game. Yeah. Like like you really like those deficiencies really like show themselves in a in a fight against a guy like a Max Holloway or Volkanovski, who just are good at everything, great at everything. Giga's a really good kickboxer. Uh, but when you uh, but when you have to grapple, Calvin showed that he's lacking grappling. Uh, you know, Calvin, it seems like on paper he would be a good matchup for Max, but the experience factor, the fact that Max has been through these wars and everything, and just Max's overall skills, it showed it showed how, how much better that he is than, than a Calvin Cater. Yeah. When when Brian Ortega fights Max and he fights Volkanovski, you know that Brian Ortega is really good, but you can just you just see like Volk and Max are just let just at that upper level. Yeah. But you but Brian it, it seems like he's not that far off because you see the type of performance he has against the Korean Zombie, and then you see the type of performance he has against Max and Volk. Like Korean Zombie is number three four in the world, Brian. Conti will continue to earn title fights. So he'll continue to be at the top of the division. But there's just little things that he has to that he has to tweak. And I think he's right up there with those guys because his his uh, his jujitsu is top tier. Like he was getting his ass whooped 
<laughs> against Volkanovski. Yeah. But you give him the, that little bit of opportunity to try to lock up a submission, and he could have been world champion. Yeah, that's why you that know? was a like, fight of the year candidate. Exactly. I mean, Volk dominated that fight, but that threat was there, and he almost had it at one point. The, the threat is all. It was there for the entire fight. Yeah. And but and if Ortega can just clean up some things with his striking, with his distance management, and all that stuff, man, Ortega could be champion, and he could be a long reigning champion, man. Like, the, but this division, like you said, it's crazy good. It's crazy stacked. It's, it keeps getting more stacked by the by the day. I mean, Korean Zombie, uh, uh, Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett, Dan Hooker coming down, yeah. Arnold Arnold Allen, uh. Even uh, the the kid that's fighting uh, on this card, uh, undefeated. Uh, Ilya Taporia. Taporia, yeah. yeah. He's like, a stud, he, yeah. Yeah, uh, he he's good. Uh, and the guy that he was going to fight, I think it's uh, Ev- Evloev. Yeah. Mom- he, he's a stud. Yeah. Like, all, like, you know, we've talked about bantamweight and lightweight, and, of course, those two divisions are levels ahead. Uh, 170 is levels ahead, but 145 is starting to really take shape, man, for sure. Yeah, and, you know... Th- that top 10 obviously looks a lot better today than it did this time a year ago. And I think to add to that, I mean, it's also the, the combination of getting fight of the year candidates within that division, right? Like Giga Cater is going to be a fight of the year candidate when 2022 ends. We're not that far removed from watching Max and Yair basically close 2021 with a fight of the year type of fight. Uh, Burgos and Billy Q, as we've documented multiple times after Chandler Gaethje was as good a fight as we saw all year. You just mentioned Volkanovski, Ortega. We we know what Korean Zombie's capable of. Josh Emmett into the mix after his injury, and you know what kind of matchups are out there for him. Yeah, this this division is full of big time fighters that we've in the last year now seen fight of the year caliber performances from, which is exciting as hell. Yeah, I mean throw I mean throw Dan Ige in the mix. Like yeah, there's yeah. so many yeah there's so many guys Edson that Barboza? Edson Bar- oh man I forgot about oh and then um. Man, Bryce Mitchell, I, I, Bryce Mitchell. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I was about to get mad that I couldn't remember his name. But yeah, Bryce Mitchell. I mean, this division, it's it's pretty loaded, man. Uh, I mean, when you mentioned Shane Burgos and Billy Q, like Billy Q is outside of the top 15 and Shane Burgos is barely at is at the bottom. I think like th- these these guys in the top 15 and even below at 145, that division is just getting more stacked by the day. And we talk about 135 and how these guys who don't have numbers next to their names should have numbers next to their names, but the division is so loaded. We're starting to talk about that with uh, 145 as well. Yeah. Yeah, that that run from 135 to 145 to 155, good Lord, man. I mean, the the depth of quality fighters in each one of those divisions is un- unreal. It's It's unreal. Uh, how deep those rosters are at all three of those weight classes. And look, I, I mean, every division, I think, is deeper than it's ever been, right? I mean, it's just the, yeah, the, the sure. sport is in a good place. Um, but, yeah, those three divisions, for sure. I mean, we've just watched it, the, the depth of quality fighters and guys that you feel like could potentially make a big run and be, you know, players in the title conversation. Like, I, I, I've there's never been a point in this sport where you looked at divisions and you could go – 20 names deep and say like that guy could be in the title picture with a couple wins that guy could be in the title picture with a win that guy is a fight away this guy should be in there but there's a log jet like right like all three of those divisions right now you can throw a ton of names out like we just did with 145 and think about not only the guys that are currently on the doorstep of that but the guys a little bit further down that might be one fight away from putting their name right back in that conversation it's it's wild yeah, and and then the thing that makes it even better, I mean, of course, you want to see Max and and Volkanovski run 
run that third fight. You want to see them fight. But now that Max is out, I feel like this division is wide open as, in, ter- as, in terms of the number one contender. I, it could have been anybody who could have got that shot. There were so many guys who deserved that shot yeah. or, you know, so many guys who could potentially have gotten the shot. I mean, Korean Zombie, uh, I had forgot that he had just beat Dan Ige because I, I thought his last fight was against Ortega. So I was a little confused at first. Yeah. Like, why is he getting the shot? But, I mean, w- let me ask you this. Outside of uh, Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, and, and maybe you can throw in Ortega, but who is the biggest name outside of those three guys at 145? It's probably Korean Zombie, right? Yeah, and, and when I thought about it like that, I was like, Okay, yeah, I can see exactly why they would give uh, uh, Korean Zombie the shot because if if that fight's going to be the main event of a pay per view, you want to give somebody, you want to give Volk somebody whose name holds some weight. Right, and without Holloway yeah. there, and without Ortega there, Korean Zombie's the next the next one. So, um, in terms of that, I see why the fight was made, but there's still so many guys um, at 145 who can uh, make a case that they are the next guy. Um, Calvin Cater now, uh, Josh Emmett now. I mean, Yair Rodriguez made he made a case even though he's coming off a loss. He made a case. Yeah. Uh, so many guys, man, and that's what makes this, that's what makes this division so fun. And uh, I'm curious to see how it all plays out here in 2022. Let's play matchmaker. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is uh, getting to throw out what we would do if we were in charge. But for the sake of this argument, let's uh, let's Max is on the sideline. We don't know when he's coming back, so let's take Max off the shelf. And obviously understanding that Vulcan Korean Zombie now is going to be the title matchup. They're off the table. How do you match up the rest of the top tier of that division? Well, I texted you this um, after after the fight. Yeah. So I definitely think the next fight should be should be Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett. I mean, that fight, we, we talk about fight of the year contenders and everything, but that fight is screaming fight of the year. Uh, some of these guys are already matched up, like Barbosa and Bryce Mitchell are matched up, yeah. and uh, I think Arnold Allen's got a fight with uh, Dan Hooker, which yes. is going to be crazy. But for me, you know, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, I would love to see uh, Dan Ige fight Shane Burgos. I think that's a oh. fight of the year candidate right there. Um, uh, Evloev, I think Evloev and, and uh, Teporia, I, I love that matchup. They got to run that run whenever back, yeah. uh, Evloev gets back. Yeah, um, Alex Caceres is, is is in the top fifteen now. Uh, maybe him and uh, Sadiq Youssef would be great. Uh, there's, there's, there's just a lot to love in this division. But my, my top matchup that I want to see outside of the title picture, outside of uh, Cater Emmett, you know, there's so many great matchups. But I really think you have to do this matchup. I, you have to do Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. I, I love that matchup. And you know, again, I think there are some pretty great combinations there at the top. And as I, as as that fight card ended Saturday night, you know, I was sitting there thinking like, man, that's a fight of the year caliber fight. And then it occurred to me, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, like that division's had multiple fight of the year caliber fights at the top of the division with like the key players in this division. So I started thinking, so I pulled up the rankings to like look at where everybody was positioned. And as I look at the rankings, literally, it, you know, it's like, it's almost like there was a glow over these two names. And, and it's exactly what you sent me a text. They're next to each other in the rankings. Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett is... I think the best possible stylistic, entertaining matchup you can make in that division, you know, obviously with Max on the shelf and taking the two guys that are about to fight for the title off the table. That that fight has, just because of their styles, right, has like the Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje type of vibe where both of those guys are going to go forward, both of those guys are going to throw giant bombs, and 
I think it just becomes a, you know, who has the bigger chin, right? Like, because those guys are going to throw heat and they're not going to stop. And maybe it ends in the first round or maybe it just becomes once again another, you know, however many rounds it becomes, go the distance type of war where we're all shaking our heads. Like, how did both of those guys withstand that? And neither one of them does a post-fight press conference because they ride in the ambulance together to the hospital. I mean, that's that's the type of, of vibe I get with Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett. I will say... I really love the idea of a Calvin Cater-Brian Ortega fight as well in terms of the Calvin Cater part of this. Uh, you nailed it with Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. I think that is an awesome matchup that would give us maybe another fight of the year type of candidate. There there are so many great paths all of a sudden given the, again, entertainment value that some of these guys have brought to the Octagon over the last year that, I mean, there are some superstar fights to make within this division, but Cater Emmett would be number one for me. Ortega Yair is, is probably next up. And again, I, I, I'm curious to see what the timeline is for Giga when he ultimately comes back. But I mean, again, given what Brian Ortega took against Max Holloway, and then he comes back and dominates Korean zombie, right? Calvin Cater takes a beating, comes back and, and dominates Giga. I can't wait to see what's next for Giga because I got to believe he's going to come back bigger and badder and better than ever whenever that is. And and he's going to deserve, I think, somebody that we're talking about right now. And that's going to be another incredible fight. But please give me Cater Emmett at some point soon. Yeah, uh, Cater and Emmett is, is a must. I mean, I think the time I think the timing works because, you know, Emmett just fought in December. Yeah, you know, yeah. of course, he of course, he didn't have the type of fight that Calvin had the five round war. But I think, um, you know, depending on how soon uh, Calvin wants to get back in there, I think that's a fight that Emmett would wait for. So maybe if they were to fight in April, May, June, something like that, I think Emmett would wait for it. Because, I mean, Yair, I mean, because you got to look about at who's above Emmett and Cater. Yeah. You got Korean Zombie, Ortega, Rodriguez, and Max, and, and Volk, of course. So, you know, Volk, I mean, uh, Volk and uh, Korean Zombie are fighting for the title. Max is uh, hurt. I mean, how long is Ortega going to take to recover from that from that beating that he took from Volk? I mean, yeah. he took a year. He took two years after after losing to Max. Who knows how long he's going to take after this one? Uh, Yair just lost to Max, and we saw how bad his foot looked. I mean, we don't know the extent of his of, of Yair's injuries. So, you know, I feel like if, if Calvin left this fight pretty much unscathed as far as, you know, like serious injuries— I think they can turn that around and and fight him and and Josh Emmett could fight in a in a May or June scenario and it'd be a, another main event and it'd be another barn burner. Absolutely. As we sit here and have this uh, featherweight conversation, um, I've got to I've got to share this with you. Dustin Poirier tweeted a few minutes ago, and I don't know if you've seen Nate Diaz tweet from two hours ago. I did see that one. But Nate Diaz tweeted at the UFC, stop playing with me. Consider this my gesture to fight this fucker. I've been trying to fight for a minute. Quit slowing down the real fight game. It's time. And it's a picture of Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier squared off against each other. This has been in the rumor mill for, I mean, really since Dustin lost to Charles Oliveira, right? Dustin, a few minutes ago, just tweeted what looks like a uh, UFC poster type of uh, Photoshop job of him and Nate Diaz facing off. And it says welterweight Poirier versus Diaz. Man, uh, I think it, that's a fight that makes a ton of sense for, uh, for Dustin. I mean, and Nate for that matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, you think of these fights as far as the dog likes it too. <laughs> 
Preach. Yeah, preach. Well, <laughs> you, you, you think of these fights uh, as far as Dustin and Nate, uh, the fights that really get you going. You know, Dustin needed that after losing to uh, after losing to Charles, man. He just wanted something that to get him back in there. You, you, you don't want him to fight a, a Michael Chandler or a, a RDA, someone in the lightweight division where he has to cut weight. I don't feel like Dustin's heart would be in it. But you bring in Nate Diaz, that's just fun. Yeah. You know, that's that's a fun fight, a fun stylistic fight. You know what you're going to get. Um, you know that both guys are going to talk, and then uh, the fight is just going to – I mean, the fight sells itself, but those guys are going to go off uh, when they get in the octagon. It, whether it be three rounds or five rounds, those guys are going to go off, and it's going to be a crazy fight. Give me so, the, uh, I love the whole this. Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz, five-rounder, even if it's, uh, you know, the third fight on a main card of a pay-per-view, please. Absolutely. This fight has to be five rounds. I mean, Dustin has never had any problems going five rounds. Nate has never had any problems going five rounds. Uh, these guys throw like no, like it's nobody's business. Uh, I'm excited, man. I hope this fight happens. It seems like the only thing that was stopping this fight was like con- the, t- the contract d- dispute between Nate and the UFC. But if that's pretty much taken care of, um, let's 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 make it happen, man. Dustin and Nate. I love it, man. Like those those are both as entertaining as it gets, right? Like Nate Diaz is a fighter's fighter. He's he's always game. He's always down to show up no matter what the matchup looks like and like the Leon Edwards situation, he's getting he's he's getting the worst end of the deal for what 29 minutes and then uh it felt like Nate Diaz won the damn fight. And here you have Dustin Poirier who's you know coming off of this like streak of of incredible performances gets choked out by Charles Oliveira, but you add, you know, you, if you talk about the whole like 155 championship conversation part of all this, like this is your chance to let Dustin rebound and fight quickly without having to worry about his massive weight cut at 170. And it also, the outcome doesn't have to prevent any sort of like movement within the lightweight division at the same time. So it's kind of the perfect scenario, right? Yeah, and, and even then, like, who knows either of these guys' championship aspirations at this point? I mean, I feel like Nate calls himself champion, but, like, does he really want to fight for the lightweight title? You know, does like, what are his championship aspirations? What is Poirier's championship aspirations after uh, failing twice? I mean, I think this fight is what it is. I mean, it's 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 fun. It's fun for both yeah. both these guys. Uh, it's fun for the fans. This is a, this is a fan's dream fight. The fans love Nate Diaz. Uh, Dustin's really, uh, he's kind of presented himself as a superstar. The two fights with Connor, people know who he is. And then you rebound that off of, you rebound that and you fight Nate Diaz. I mean, Dustin, Dustin knows, like, this is a money fight. This is a fun fight. I mean, he's already made millions of dollars fighting Connor. Now he's going to make more millions fighting Nate Diaz. Like, this is the, the perfect storm for Nate Diaz, or I mean, for Dustin. This is the perfect fight to go to after uh, losing to Charles Oliveira. This is perfect for him. Is there a bigger fight you can make for Nate Diaz than this one? I mean, outside, outside of a title fight? Yeah. Out, outside of uh, outside of a title fight, outside of the Connor trilogy, yeah. it's, it's this one. I mean, I, I, I even think that this fight is bigger than a Masvidal rematch. Oh, by a mile. Yeah, I agree right. with that. Right, so, yeah, so outside, outside of those two things, for sure, uh, Nate... And Dustin is the biggest fight for Nate right now. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I, I had to. And, uh, I have to throw this in there. I'm so glad that the UFC is not going to do this. But the only fight that might be bigger is if uh, Hamzat fought Nate Diaz. But I'm really glad that they're not going to do that. <laughs> yes. Agreed. I, I completely agree. Although I don't. I, I mean, 
that would be a massive draw. I think that is, uh, I, I don't know that that's a great fight. That's not something that I'm flagging for fight of the year candidate, unfortunately. I think that is a uh, pretty dominant uh, performance from the Wolf, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they that they were considering this, it just shows like if Nate had any aspirations to want to fight outside of the UFC, they're going to throw him to Hamza and Hamza's going to destroy him. And then all the leverage that Nate yeah. possibly could have had was going to be out the window. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get to picks, um, we still have uh, five fights from the main card on Saturday night. We can just quickly give thoughts on this. Um, how Jake Collier with an incredible performance. I said last week I thought Chase Sherman was was uh, the guy that I thought should have been favored in that fight, and Jake Collier looked terrific. I thought Royval Bontarine was just a weird spastic fight that uh, I, I thought you could you could kind of make the argument either way at the end of that fight for which guy won. Chukagian looked as good as ever and just continues to be. Unfortunately for her, just the next in line behind Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, and then I thought uh, Borshev Bush was really entertaining. Algio Brito was a fun fight. It was a, a good fight night all the way around. Um, you know, there may not have been a ton of wow moments over the course of this fight card, but solidly entertaining. Yeah, nothing that's going to really uh, blow your hair back. Uh, I mean, but it was just solid. I mean, for for you look at the card and you think like, eh, it's, it's kind of okay for the main event. I think it exceeded my expectations. But, uh, you know, for for what compared to what we're used to as far as these stacked fight nights and, and pay-per-view cards and stuff, it was just OK. But the fight, the, the main event made up for a lot of it. And uh, there there was some solid fights. You got to give them credit. Like you got to give Roy Vall credit. Uh, Roy Vall and Bontrain was was a good fight. Jake Collier with the with the early submission win. And like you said, Chukagian, Bill Algio, like there, it was just a solid night of fights. But um, it was just solid. That would yeah. be the perfect description of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, all I gotta say is, welcome back, UFC. Welcome back. We we missed you welcome over back. that uh, that little end of the year, first of the year break that that you took. So, welcome back. All right, you ready for uh, pay per view picks? Yeah, man, let's do it. Saturday night in Anaheim, California, it will be UFC 270, the heavyweight title on the line, the champion Francis Ngannou. The challenger, Surreal Gone, we talked about it at the top of this podcast, I think as entertaining a heavyweight matchup as we've ever had in the history of the UFC. Um, we will start on the main card. I get They've kind of reshuffled this thing a little bit over the course of this week, but as we sit here on this Wednesday getting ready for Saturday night, the main card as of now starts at uh, the middleweight division with Hidalfo Vieta and Wellington Terman. Oddshark.com has... Vieta as a minus two twenty favorite, plus one seventy five for Terman. Yeah, man, I think this is a uh, Rodolfo Fiera all the way. I mean, uh, I remember Wellington Terman's last fight; he didn't look that good. He kind of seemed like uh, oh, against Bruno Silva, he didn't look that yeah. good, but he did win his last fight. Got to give him credit for that. But uh, yeah, I think. Uh, this is definitely a Adolfo Vieira win. I think it'll be a, a finish as well. So, Adolfo Vieira on for submission, me. submission finish. Absolutely, yeah. Um, submission finish for Vieira. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He lost to uh, Fluffy Hernandez last year in what was uh, when we did our end of the year awards. Was on my upset of the year and submission of the year because. The submission specialist was the one that got submitted to the massive underdog in that fight. It was that was uh, one of the standout moments of 2021. But yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I'm going uh, submission finish as well. Uh, Vieta with the win over Wellington Terman. 
Fight number two on the main card, as uh, we sit here today, goes to the bantamweight division. I think this is a, a really good matchup. Cody Stamen and Saeed Nurmagomedov. Oddshark.com has Nurmagomedov as a minus 200 favorite, plus 160 for Cody Stamen. Man, this one's a, this one's a tough one because Cody, Cody Stamen is as tough as they come. But, um, you know, Nurmagomedov, the name, it just makes you think about Khabib. <laughs> it makes you think, like, this guy, all he knows is wrestling. He's just going to, you know, take him down, and it's just going to be a, 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 you know, a grind fest type thing. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Cody Stamen and what he's done. Uh, I think, man, this one's tough. This one is really tough. I mean, when you when you see Cody Stamen fight, he only really loses to the guys who are at the top of the division. Like, he loses to Marab and he'll lose to Jimmy Rivera. But um, when he fights, you know, the mid-level guys, he wins. But so it makes me wonder how good is Nurmagomedov at this point. You know, man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, Nurmagomedov, man. Okay. I, uh, I like this matchup, and I'm going to go Cody Stamen here, actually. So for the first time in 2022, we're going to be on the opposite side of things. Um, I think this is a good matchup. I think Nurmagomedov probably deserves to be the favorite, but I don't know that I agree with the odds here being as, as you know, minus 200 to, to, minus, to plus 160. Uh, I, I just Cody Stamen's good everywhere, right? Like, there's not really a weakness. I don't know that I, I consider him to be great anywhere, but I just feel like he's so well-rounded that it's not going to be... Uh, an all-out assault one way or the other from Nurmagomedov, and I, I certainly give Cody Stamen uh, the advantage if this thing is on the feet. So uh, let's go Cody Stamen in this bantamweight matchup, which is the second fight on this main card. And that takes us to the welterweight division where we, where we have Michelle Pajeda and Andre Fialo. Uh, Fialo, I believe, making his UFC debut here, Will. Uh, Pieda is a minus 285 favorite, plus 225 for Fialo. Yeah, I, you know, I, I heard um, heard somewhere, uh, some podcast I was listening to the other day, that uh, that Andre is a really good striker. He's got a lot of knockout power, but when it comes to uh, Pajeda, I just uh, I like his ch- I like his chances against a guy who who likes to fight in a phone booth. I think his his range, and uh, you know, if you can survive chaos, Williams, in my mind, yeah. I think I think you're you're pretty solid when it comes to you know managing your distance and everything. So my picks gonna go with Pajeda. You know, this is this is uh, Andre's first UFC fight. This is a big stage UFC 270. Uh, this is debut. So you know Pajeda's been there, done that. So my pick's gonna be with uh, Pajeda. Uh, I uh, co-sign on everything you just said. I think uh, this has the opportunity to be one of the the more fun fights on this entire card. Um, You know, I'll go back to the opener of last Saturday night's card and what we saw from Bill Algio and his experience inside the octagon against Brito, right? Like Brito's making his UFC debut, this really entertaining fighter. And, you know, to some degree, it just kind of felt like Brito was a little bit overly excited, right? And while you can see the upside and you can see the ability... He just he it was his first fight in the octagon and and he wasn't as patient as he probably should have been. And there were those debut jitters that we see from most people making their UFC debuts. And I don't know that that necessarily is the case in this situation, but we are talking about a guy with a lot of upside making his UFC debut against a guy that has been there, done that, been in a ton of big matchups. And as you said, I think can battle it out in this stand up war, but is is athletically gifted, is quick, can get in and out. 
Uh, I just think it's uh, advantage Pieta in this matchup as well. Which takes us to the co-main event and gives us a title fight. And uh, in terms of our scorekeeping, fight nights, all the fights are worth one, and our main event on fight nights are three-pointers. Every pay-per-view card this season will have three-point fights on the line with five-pointers in all of the main events or all of the title fights, wherever they're slated on the fight card. So our first five-pointer of the year, Will, is flyweight champion Brandon Moreno in his trilogy matchup against Davison Figueredo. Oddshark.com has Moreno as a minus 175 favorite, plus 150 for Figueredo. So, you know, the first fight that they had, we were both on the Figueredo side. Like, Figueredo was, had been so dominant, yeah. and uh, we just didn't expect what we saw from Brandon Moreno. We didn't think that he would be able to withstand the, the power Figueredo, but he definitely did. But I will say that first fight was a fight that Figueredo won had it not been for the point deductions, yes. right? Yes. So the next fight, I leading up to the fight, I just didn't I didn't like Figueredo uh on the scale. Like I picked I remember I picked against him. Seeing him on the scale, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. he's this isn't going to go well. This this was more of a fight with Figueredo versus the scale than Moreno in my mind. Yeah. So uh Moreno you know, did what he did, uh, credit to him, huge performance. So in this third fight, you know, you see the picture of Figueredo. He's looking shredded already. I feel like he's he wants to take the the weight issues and kind of just deal with them early. I think he's he's pretty much close to on weight now. Um, but, you know, Moreno, he, he I think he's just continuously getting better. But my question is, are we going to see the Figueredo from the first fight and, and how much better has Moreno gotten from, from fight to fight to fight? So this one's tough for me. I've, I've been going back and forth all day. A lot of me inside is telling me to go with Figueredo. But I, I really like, you know, Brandon Moreno as champion, man. It's, it's tough. Man. And, and Figueredo as an underdog, too. You know, that's... Uh, You know, man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and do it. I'm gonna go ahead and go uh, Figueredo. All right, Figueredo. So you're going and new for our first title fight of 2022, and I am gonna go and new as well. Uh, Davis and Figueredo for me. I think Brandon Moreno is awesome, and and look, I, I if Brandon Moreno wins this, I I will be happy as hell for him. He's one of the most likable guys in the UFC. I think he's an awesome champion. But when I look at these guys like recent body of work, right? I look at Brandon Moreno and I look at Davison Figueredo. Their last fight to me kind of feels like the outlier. Their last fight kind of feels like the exception, not the rule. Right. So I'm, I, I mean, I could be completely wrong here. I, I think this is a really great fight. I think it's a great matchup, but I, I picked Figueredo both times. I'm with you on the last fight, how concerned I was with the weight situation. I didn't feel nearly as confident going into the second fight as I did the first fight because of the weight situation, and that that somewhat plays a role here uh, for me as well. But at the end of the day, I, I have no idea what the weight situation is going to be. I just look at this as, you know, what do we see more often than not from these two guys? And I feel like my interpretation of what this matchup looks like more often than not is Figueredo getting the win. So, and new, Davison Figueredo getting his uh, second uh, title stint as the 
flyweight champion? You know, uh, the the whole second fight for me, uh, it was just Figueredo versus the scale. But I, I didn't really, you know, Brandon Moreno's good, but you know, I think Figueredo when he's when he's clicking and he's and he's there, man, like the power. Yeah. Like I think what we saw in the first fight is uh, pretty much how how this goes. And you know, Brandon put on muscle and everything, and you could see he he got better from fight one to fight two for sure. But I think Figueredo drained himself so much trying to make weight, and then you know, just you see him walking to, walking to the scale, he could barely move. Yeah. Like I just didn't I didn't like it at all, and I just knew like he lost that battle on the scale. I mean, he he made weight, but it didn't he didn't look like he would fill up and you know be the the you know the same guy on fight day. So looking at that picture. Seeing how shredded he looked, he looked in, in incredible shape already. And you know, if if the weight is out of the equation, I think Figueredo beats Moreno eight eight out of ten times. So yeah. my, that's why my picks with Figueredo. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. And uh, I, I I did think you were going to go Moreno, though. I will say that. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. This... Had I not seen that picture, oh, yeah? <laughs> I probably would have went nice. with Moreno. I really nice. I really like how how shredded that he looks now. I think he really took the weight. Uh, the weight cut really, really serious in this one. So, like I said, if the weight's out of the equation, I'm going with Figueredo. All right, that takes us, Will, to the main event of UFC 270. It is the heavyweight championship matchup between the champion Francis Ngannou, the challenger Cyril Khan. We talked about it at the top. I think this is you can make the argument the most entertaining matchup in UFC heavyweight history. I love this fight. I will be geeked. For this fight to start on Saturday, this will be one that I, I am standing up before they ever start. I will be standing up from the moment that these guys make their walk. I will probably be jumping up and down as Bruce, Bruce Buffer screams, raining, <laughs> defending. And there's no chance I will sit down as these guys are inside the octagon facing off against each other. The history, the, the look of these two guys, the athletic ability, the power, the skill, all of it on display. I love this fight. So here we go. It is Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gaon. Oddshark.com has the challenger, Cyril Gaon, as the minus 155 favorite, plus 125 for the champion, Francis Ngannou. Well, first let me say, I think both the, the co-main and this main event should be like pick'ems. Like, no minus 115 or minus 105. I think both of these should be minus 110 pick'ems. I could get on board with that, yeah. Like, both of these fights, there's so many questions, so many layers to it. Uh, but especially this heavyweight title fight, man, like, you know, Francis, you know, we, we, we talked about it at the beginning, Francis, how, uh, the, he's the prototypical heavyweight, the power, the look, the, the star quality, like it's, it's all there. And then Cyril Gaon is just that outlier, man, just the movement, everything he brings to the table, the skill, the IQ, the defense, like it's all just really crazy. But, uh, I find comfort in my pick, uh, because, I just think that Francis is battling too much. Like, I think Francis is going into this fight. There's so much. Like how I said at the beginning that Surreal is the last fight that he's that he has that's like on the totem pole. Yeah. I kind of think that that's where Francis is right now. The the, the contract, the the boxing, the, the the coach situation, like all of that is, and then the pressure that he's putting on himself to 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 win. He's betting on himself. And then he, th this is his first title defense. Like, there's so much on Francis's shoulders right now. And, of course, those are, those are big shoulders. He's 6'4", 260, or whatever the case is. I mean, Francis is a big dude. But I don't know, like, if all of that is going to allow him to, 
to be all the way there in the fight. And you have to be when you're fighting surreal because surreal is a puzzle. He's a, you know, a chess player. Like he, he's, he steps ahead of, of all these guys. He's fought guys like Francis before. Like we saw what happened when surreal fought Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis was going, was, was fighting in front of his home, uh, his home state, his home city, you know, fighting in the city. And surreal was cool, calm, collected, like nothing like surreal knows what his mission is. I feel like Francis has so many missions that he's not going to be all there on fight day. And I think we're going to see surreal be so defensively sound, especially early when Francis is at his best. He's going to drag this out uh, into the later rounds, maybe the third or fourth round. And then surreal is going to, you know, start really piling on, on Francis. I mean, we might see some grappling here and there from surreal as well. I think he's so well-rounded. He can take this fight wherever, man, you know, and he's so defensively sound. I think Francis is going to get frustrated trying to get to him. Uh, it, it's going to take Surreal making a mistake. And if if he makes that mistake, it's it's over. I mean, it's just like we were talking about with Derek Lewis. If you make that mistake, it's over. But I think Surreal, just knowing Francis, you know, his coach knows Francis. Uh, he he's he, He's going into this fight just wanting to become champion. He doesn't have any other agendas. Francis has so much. So my pick is with Surreal gone, man. I love it. I love it because I am going Francis Ngannou and still your baddest man on the planet, Francis Ngannou. I will say this. Cyril Gaon is the more well-rounded guy. Cyril Gaon is the more skilled mixed martial artist. I think where the massive injustice in terms of the analyst breakdowns of this matchup have occurred all week, and I think you just did it as well, you compared... What Cyril Gaon t- did to Jarzinho Rosenstrike because he's a knockout guy. And what Cyril Gaon did to Derek Lewis because he's a knockout guy. And you put Francis Ngannou in that same department. And where I think, again, this is the massive injustice. Athletically, Francis Ngannou is night and day on a different planet from Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Derek Lewis. Francis Ngannou is quick enough to close the distance in situations where Derek Lewis isn't. I, I think Cyril Gaon might be the more athletic guy in this matchup, but that the gap between Gaon and Derek Lewis was so drastic that he was never worried about coming in, getting his shots, and getting out, right? I don't think that gap is there between Gaon and Francis Ngannou. I, I think that that gap is significantly lesser to the point that I don't think you can... You can maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you can expect that Cyril Gaon's just going to, at will because he's athletic, come in, take his shots, and get out. I think Francis Ngannou is so explosive from a movement standpoint that it significantly takes away that dynamic of just being able to pick and choose your spots the way that he, he has the last, like, four times that we've seen him in the octagon. So, uh, to me, look, I think we will know a lot in the first 60 seconds of this fight, right? Like, that will tell a massive story, because these guys know each other so well. That will tell a massive story, but... You know, I, I don't envision Cyril Gaon wanting to get close enough to grapple with Francis Ngannou because the power is where it is. I think that, I don't know that, that Gaon doesn't have that same power, but we've never seen him put people away the same way that Francis does. And when I think about what, what Cyril Gaon brings to the table and the entire arsenal, and I think he's as skilled as any heavyweight we've ever seen, I just think that you're not able to use all those gifts because... Francis Ngannou is not a guy that's just going to stand back there and not have movement and not be able to, to potentially explode at you 
unlike some of the other knockout artists that Surogon's faced to this point. So, and, and I will say, I, I think that we watched a very patient Francis Ngannou face Stipe the last time out, and he waited for his shot, and when that opportunity presented itself, he reacted in a big way. So, I can't wait for this, man. I think it's going to be awesome. I am going to be, like, chewing my fingernails off, but uh, for me, it's Francis Ngannou. Now, while I'm, I'm with you, like, I didn't say that um, that Francis is, is light years ahead of, of Derek Lewis and Jarzinho athletically. I should have. No, I know, because, I know that. You know, that. That plays a huge factor in, in my, in yeah. my um, breakdown of this fight. But I think where, where this is different is – okay, hold on, hold on. Where I think this is different, I think Surreal is so patient – early he's going to be so patient early and i don't know how patient francis is going to be early i think that's where my breakdown kind of gets a little a little foggy because yeah. i'm like what how's francis going to approach this early but i don't see a scenario where surreal is going to overextend himself throughout the whole fight but especially early on i feel like in the first two rounds surreal's going to be defensively perfect and it's going i think it's going to force francis to be predictable in his with his attack, and Surreal's going to be so defensively sound and, and all that that I feel like it's really going to wear Francis down with Francis trying to trying to get to him because I feel like Surreal's going to be at distance for, for the early parts of this fight, and if this fight is at distance, I think Surreal's winning. Surreal's going to be winning this fight. Francis has to get in. And he has to he has to get in and he has to uh, be close to him. And if if Francis is predictable getting in, Surreal knows like I, I need to wrap him up to create space. I need to uh, slide my way out. He he manages distance. I mean, him and Izzy are like the best when it comes to managing distance. Yeah. So I just don't, you know I feel like if Francis is going to win this fight, it's going to be early. But I just don't see Surreal making that mistake. And, and it could happen. You know, Francis might be, just be that freakishly athletic to where he can get to Surreal, and it might not matter about Surreal's distance. But I. I just I just see Surreal being so defensively sound that Francis isn't going to have that that chance to to get to him early. But who knows? He might rush him like he did Jarzinho. Yeah, that's what I was about <laughs> to say. Like I I think all of that is true except for the fact that if Francis decides he's going forward, that's a freight train that it you know it almost does, like you can be the best defender in the world, but that guy's so big and so strong and so fast that if he starts coming forward. Like, what does that look like? I, I mean, are you making him, like, he's going to find you. He's going to get to you. And then it just kind of becomes a matter of, are you going to be able to hit him as hard as he's going to be able to hit you in that scenario? And look, if Francis does that out of the gate, to me, that says, they, these guys have trained against each other, right? They know each other. If Francis immediately comes after him, to me, that says Francis isn't scared of his power at all, right? Absolutely, yeah. But if he if Francis just runs straight at him, he's... Surreal's not going to back straight up like Jarzino did and just run into the fence where no, Francis can, sure. can tee off. Surreal's going to circle out or like he's going he's going to know what to do. You know, Jarzino just back straight up and then just allowed Francis to tee off. So I just I just have a lot of faith. I've never seen anybody that defensively sound as Surreal is and how efficient that he is with his strikes and stuff. I do think that um, Francis is going to have to be aware of his kicks. He may not have the power in his hands. But I do think his yeah. kicks will present some problems. So Francis will have to be careful with that. But if he's not afraid of his power, we might see some scenarios where he does rush. And even against Stipe, you you mentioned how he was being patient. He did rush in a few times, but it was very calculated yeah. in how he did it. He took angles. You know, right. it wasn't just a 
It wasn't it wasn't sloppy. Like I mean, he did knock out Jarzinho, but that was a very sloppy <laughs> way to go about just you know uh, attacking him. So yeah. against against Surreal, I, I think he's going to have to do like he did against Stipe. But I will admit, Surreal is very fast, light on his feet. Stipe is is you know as for as good as he is, Stipe is really slow. I mean, very he's he's really slow for for a heavyweight. Yeah. I mean he he's he's uh he's lighter in terms of weight and everything, but he's one of the more slower heavyweights when you get to the top of the division. So, um, I do think Surreal's speed is going to play a factor. His his athleticism. You know, no one's been able to match Francis's uh, athleticism and his speed outside of, you know, with the match that he's seeing now. I think the fact that they've trained together makes this fight so much more intriguing. Yeah. The styles is so good, man. Just, you know, the, all the layers that go into it, man. And then you just add on. But, you know, I think the fight itself is great, but I just think that there's so much going on outside that Francis isn't going to be able to focus, man. I think he's, I think Francis is going to make a mistake, man. You think it's a finish? Or you think it just goes the distance and Cyril gone outpoints him? I think I, I, if the fight goes how I think it'll go, I think it'll be a late finish. Okay. Uh, maybe a submission finish in the fourth or fifth round for Cyril. I think Francis is going to be exhausted. Who do you think commands the center of the octagon? Francis. Okay. Francis will command the center of the octagon. Uh, Cyril likes to operate from the outside. Cyril knows that he's going to be. Uh, Shrill knows that he's going to be uh, on the back foot, that Francis is going to be pursuing him. And even if even if Francis is labored back, I, I think Shrill knows how to you know just attack the legs and still maintain distance. But I think Francis will uh, command the center of the octagon. Yeah. I will be very curious to just see the first time that Shrill comes in and tries to get out, what that looks like. Again, because I, I, I've heard it all week, like... I, I think there's just this idea that Francis is just going to stand there and wait to land a big shot like Derek Lewis did or like Jorginho was waiting to do. And, like, yes, he does do that. Like, he's capable of doing that. He's a big hitter. But the difference in his ability to explode from a movement standpoint is just otherworldly compared to those guys. Like, he's not immobile. And I, I feel like I've just heard so often the comparison this week to, like, this is going to be the same thing as those fights where, He's like this stationary target that's waiting for a big shot. And look, maybe that's the way he decides to to fight this. Maybe he decides that to be to stand in one spot and, and wait for his opportunity to pre- present itself. But I just feel like in terms of what his athletic gifts are, his movement and explosion is is just in another level compared to those stationary guys that don't present that threat at all. And Cyril Gaon never had to worry about. It. He could enter and exit whenever he wanted without the fear that those guys were ever going to be able to do anything. And I just don't think that's the same situation here. So not only that, but Francis is as tall as, uh, as surreal yeah. where, you know, Derek Lewis and, and Jarzinho surreal had a reach and a height advantage on both of those guys. Yeah. And, you know, it, like you said, he could dart in and out as he pleased, but he's not going to have that same with, with Francis. But for all of the, uh, athletic gifts that Francis presents, like surreal presents the same type of, yeah, issues yeah. in in terms of Francis' skill set like the defense the the gas tank like we've seen him go five rounds and you know not even be breathing heavy after it's over uh, i mean i think this fight is definitely different because Francis is going to be is going to have him moving uh at a rate that he's that he's hasn't seen in the UFC yet i mean Volkov is 6-7 but he doesn't move like Francis right. moves so you know there's like you said there's so many layers to this fight man but you know, I still just think that there's too much on Francis' plate, man. I think Could be. on fight day he he might not be uh, as locked in as he should be. 
yeah. just with the, with the whole UFC thing, the contract, yeah. Tyson Fury, uh, the coach, like that that that, that whole coach coach uh, Fernand Lopez and Francis, that whole thing, the way they split up and all that, that's that's a big deal, man. Yeah. And then you you saw the whole thing with Francis. I forget what fight card it was, but he walked past their entire team. And Surreal looked like he had a problem with it and stuff. Uh, Fran, you know, Francis wasn't walking past Surreal and and the other training partners. He was walking past the coach. Right. Like that's a that's something that's a big deal. So I don't know, man. No, you're, I mean, we'll look, you're, you're right to say that that could be a factor. And look, it could be a positive factor for Francis or it could be a, it, it could be the motivating force. Like Michael Jordan would turn that into a 60 point game, right? In the same situation. Oh, right. And other people completely crumble under that and aren't focused and become sloppy. So I think you're 100 percent right that that will be a factor. It's just in terms of which way you channel that. Is it a factor and you channel it as motivation to be your best self or does it prevent you from having the highest level of focus on surreal gone instead of the other factors? So yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. That is a factor. Uh, it's just a matter of whether you believe it's, it's a positive or negative one. Yeah. You know, I think that's where my confidence comes in, in making this pick the, the layers outside of it. I yeah. think we're going to learn a lot about Francis and Ganu in this fight. Yeah. Like, uh, his, his mindset, his skills. We're going to learn so much about Francis where we kind of know about Surreal. We kind of know where, where his head's at. We know how good that he is. But I think we're, we're really going to see like what, what Francis is truly made of because um, he's going to be in the trenches. Uh, this, whole, this whole circus that's been going on for the last yeah. you know, six months, uh, you know, the John Jones thing, the, the money situation, like everything that Francis has dealt with since he became champion, you know, it's it's all been crazy. So we're going to learn a lot about about Francis. Um, history tells us that when someone is dealing with all of this, that they lose. So that's kind of where my confidence comes from. But Francis is, is a different type of cat. And we'll see what we'll see what what he's made of on Saturday. This is going to be an awesome fight, man. I cannot wait awesome. to watch these guys fight like it is going to be exceptional. And look, either way, like. The champion at the end of Saturday night is uh, going to be absolutely deserving. And when you look at both of these guys, they they both look the part of a champion and they've both performed in the octagon like a champion to this point. All right. We did this last year. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Now that we've made our first championship picks in 2022, we start the year with all these champions and we're going to predict if it's the same guy or gal at the end of the year or somebody else. So... We will go over every belt and predict who will be holding that strap by the end of 2022. So we start with uh, women's strawweight. Current champ is Rose. Will will it be Rose by the end of the year, or do you have another name in mind? So if I had to guess, I think Rose will fight Carla. Rose will fight twice this year. Okay. Rose will fight Carla and Marina Rodriguez. She will beat them both. And she will uh, remain the strawweight champion. All right, same for me. I'm, I'm going to stick with Rose, still the champion at the end of 2022. Women's flyweight current champ is Valentina. I'm just, uh, you don't even need to answer. I'm just going to go <laughs> ahead and write Valentina for both of us. Yeah, I assume. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know that anything needs to be said there. Um, all right, uh, next we have women's bantamweight. Amanda Nunes, Ooh, this one, or sorry, this Juliana Pena is the current yeah, champion. Juliana Pena. Um, this one's this one's interesting because uh, that Pena and Nunes rematch is going to really tell the story of like 
who's going to be champion towards the end of the year. I mean, I think, you know, Amanda just left American Top Team yeah. to, to form her own gym. How's that going to, you know, affect her fighting? You know, I don't know. And then Juliana just, you know, I think in the manner that she won, like she called her shot. She's been calling her shot since 2016, and the fight ended the exact same way that she said it would. I don't know, man. Um, if I had to make a guess, though, in terms of the end of the year, the women's bantamweight champion, I'm going to go out on a limb here. It might really might not be a limb, but I'm going to pick Valentina to be the double champion. Oh, nice. Okay. I like that. I, I hadn't even uh, hadn't really gone down that path in my mind. So I, I love because, it. Yeah, you know, when I think of, when I think of the matchup, you know, I think whether Juliana or Amanda wins, I think if they were to match up against Valentina, Valentina yeah. beats them both. Yeah. And I think at some point this year, Valentina is going to get a chance to become a double champion. All right. Uh, I'm. I, this is. I would have never guessed this was going to be the case. Not too long ago. I'm going to go Pena though, and. Part of it is because I don't know how many fights she's going to get this year. I mean, we're probably talking about middle of the year before they even fight again. Right. I felt like, like I didn't even entertain the idea going into that fight that Pena was going to win. Right. But when we watched that press conference and then watched weigh-ins and the face-offs, like there was a mental edge there, I felt like, for Juliana. And again, I still didn't think she was going to win, but it was something I picked up on. I was like, there's something there. Like she... 100% believes she's not intimidated whatsoever. Like, you can see the fire in her eyes. It's not just like she's putting on a brave face. Like, I, I believed that she felt like she was the superior fighter. And not only do you feel like she has the mental edge, she she obviously proved it in the octagon, and now you have Amanda Nunes changing camps. Like, I uh, I don't know, man. This this to me just feels like there is, there is a mental edge there with Juliana Pena over Amanda Nunes that... Uh, I would probably stick with uh, Pena winning the rematch as well. All right, uh, women's featherweight, the champ is Amanda Nunes. I mean, I, I I don't see there being a featherweight title defense this year, but you know, I think I think uh, if there is, I don't really see any featherweight that would give Amanda any any smoke. So uh, I think Amanda will be the uh, featherweight champion. But I will say, can I? Can I have a little side bet, I guess? Yes, because it's because, probably the same as mine. Yeah, so Amanda's going to be the champion at 145 unless Kayla Harrison signs with the UFC. Yeah. And if she does, Kayla Harrison is my pick for the featherweight champion. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say, as the roster sits here looking like it does today, Amanda Nunes is still the champion, but there's a new entry into the UFC, and that happens to be Kayla Harrison, then... Kayla Harrison becomes my selection. All right, end of the year for the flyweight division. Brandon Moreno is the current champ. We both picked Figueredo to beat him on Saturday night, but would Figueredo retain? This is so early in the year, you have to imagine there's at least one, if not maybe a December title defense as well for either one of these guys. So uh, who's your flyweight champion at the end of 2022? Man, um, I'm actually going to go... I'm not even going to go with uh, Moreno or Figueredo. Uh, my pick, uh, it, it, it came down to uh, Askar Askarov and Pantoja for me. Okay. I think uh, I think Askarov, I think he's the guy, man. I think he's going to be the next uh, flyweight champion. Well, I think he'll be the champion at the end of 2022. Okay. Um, give me, give me Kai Kara France. Oh wow, wow, that's a good one. 
I, I considered Askarov as well, but um, I just I don't see anybody in this division going on a uh, Mighty Mouse type of, of run yeah, in title defenses, exactly. so that's kind of where, where it is for me. All right, end of the year, bantamweight champion, the current champ is Aljamain Sterling. Man, Aljo's been so dominant holding this championship over the last year, man. I mean, no one has been able to really even challenge him in the octagon. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. Like literally, nobody's <laughs> right, been able true. to challenge. Yeah, it, right. It is true, but yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I think Peter Yan, man, just he's proven that he's just that guy. I mean, I don't really see anybody within this year being able to uh, to to beat him. I think uh, a TJ Dillashaw fight would be really interesting, but I, uh, you know, still, man, I think Peter Yan just has it. Uh, you know, maybe we see Henry Cejudo come out of retirement and, and fight Peter Yan. But uh, for, for now, man, I think uh, I think uh, we'll see Peter Yan fight twice against uh, Sterling and either uh, Aldo or Dillashaw. And uh, he'll win them both. And Peter Yan for me. Give me Peter Yan as well. All right. Uh, featherweight current champ is Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh I I do think that Volk will remain champion okay. at the end of this year. Uh, and I have a hot take. I don't even think this is a hot take. But I think that Max Holloway, I think this is his last year at featherweight. I think uh, he'll have his last featherweight fight. and Or uh, this, the, the Volkanovski ship will sail and he won't fight again at 145. And he'll entertain the money fights at 155. I don't think you're wrong in that. Um, I'm going to go Max, and I'm going to say that toward the end of the year, he gets healthy, Volk's going to retain against Zombie, we get the trilogy fight, and I'm going to say this time it's Max, and, and uh, yeah, but if, if it doesn't go that way, I think you're, uh, you're probably spot on. So give me Max as the featherweight champ by the end of 2022. All right, lightweight champion is currently Charles Oliveira. Is he still the champ by the end of 2022? Man, you know, this one, this one's actually uh, kind of tough for me because I, I, I really like what Oliveira's done. I like what Gaethje's done. And, you, you know, you really think that's a, that it's only a matter of time for, for Islam. I'm really curious to see how Oliveira and Gaethje would go. But, yeah, man, I think towards the end of the year, man, I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be Makashev. But I think, I kind of think Justin Gaethje can beat Makashev, man. Yeah. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I really do. I think Justin Gaethje can beat him, but uh, you know, can can Gaethje beat Oliveira? You know, the, the whole Styles make fights yeah. thing. Like, yeah. All three, all three of those guys present different stylistic matchups for for each other. But you know, of course, you got to go with you know the the dominant the, the guy who's the most dominant, and I think that's uh, Makachev. Right. But I think I can see either one of those guys, Oliveira or Gaethje, beating uh, Islam. We don't have a date or even anything set in stone that it's going to be Oliveira and Gaethje yet. But I think we all think that that's the way it's going to go. Give me Gaethje winning that fight. And then I don't think he defends again this year. I would say it's probably early 2023 before Islam would get his opportunity. Uh, so I, I would love to see that fight. I do think Islam's a future champ, but I will say it's Justin Gaethje when uh, the year changes from 2022 to 2023. All right, welterweight, the champion is Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman is my champion unless by the end of the year he retires. But if he does not retire, Kamaru Usman is my champion. Okay. 
this one's tough because I feel like Kamaru's going to take some t a while before this Leon fight, if it if it ultimately happens, takes place. And I don't know if we get two title fights this year. So that's right. kind yeah, of like what that. I'm weighing here because I'm going to go Chimaev by the end of the year if he gets his opportunity. I just don't know if he's going to get it. Uh, but for the sake of this, I'm going to say that uh, Kamaru beats Leon. And maybe dis the the December pay per view is Hamza Chimaev, Kamaru Usman, and uh, it's Chimaev as your welterweight champion. All right, middleweight. The champ is Israel Adesanya. He is defending next month against Robert Whitaker. Um, I think he beats Whitaker, and. He will be back in the octagon once or twice. I Once for sure, I think he'll fight the winner of Cannoneer Brunson. He will win that. I don't think he gets to Alex Pereira in 2022. Agreed. So, um, I think Izzy's still your champion at the end of 2022. But I do think there is a possibility he relinquishes the title. But that's just a that's a oh, that's just a hot take. Okay. But that's a hot take. But um, I think there's a small possibility. But uh, for for right now, Izzy. So you've got Usman retiring, Izzy relinquishing the title, and Ngannou leaving for boxing. I don't have that. I don't have Francis leaving for boxing. Oh, the okay. other two, I think, are are strong possibilities. Okay. I do. Okay. I do think it. There is a chance that Francis. Uh, could box, but I do think it'll be under the UFC umbrella, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, that does. All right, so this is our one, two, three, four, five. This is our sixth men's division, and this is the first time out of six that I'm going to say the current champion is still the champion by the <laughs> end of this year. Uh, so for the women, I went chalk. I thought all four would retain. I'm uh, the complete opposite on this side. So Israel Adesanya, still champ of the middleweight division at the end of this year. All right, light heavyweight, your current champion is Glover Teixeira. Okay, so I think that uh, I think that Glover will fight Yuri in May. I think Glover has a chance to win that man. I do too. Uh, I think he has a really good chance. I mean, I, I went back and I watched that uh, Reyes and Prohaska matchup, and I think there's a lot of openings that Glover could have in terms of uh, of grappling and the wrestling and stuff. But do I think he'll pull it off? I mean, can he withstand the the pressure and the punches from from Yuri? We'll see. But um, I think that at the end of 2022, the light heavyweight champion will be. This one's probably the toughest one for me. I almost said John Jones, but I was like, nah. I ain't gonna go back <laughs> well, we know that's not going to happen because he won't fight. Right, exactly. Exactly. But um, maybe 2023 will. Uh, I, I think uh, Izzy is a is a possibility here to go up and fight for the light heavyweight title again. Yeah. But um, at the end of 2022, because I, I feel like this this is a division where we can have multiple new champions. I I just don't think I have much faith in Rockage. Or I'll go Yuri. I'm okay. gonna go Yuri. 
Uh, Yuri, for me as well. But I, you made a point at the beginning of that that I completely agree with. Like, I, I think a lot of people have already crowned Yuri as the next champ, right? Like, it kind of feels like nobody really thought Glover could beat Jan. And now that he's the champ, it's just like a matter of time before Yuri's going to take it. And look, I, I struggled with this one. I thought about it a lot. And I'm I'm picking Yuri. But I, your point is spot on. I that It would not surprise me whatsoever if Glover Teixeira beat Yuri Prohaska. Like, not at all. Yeah. So I, I think your point is, is spot on there. Um, but yeah, I will uh, I, I slight lean for me in that matchup going to Yuri. And then I, I look at where Yuri is and, and the other possible matchups. And I, I don't think anybody else matches up with him nearly as well as Glover Teixeira does. So I will go Yuri by the end of this year, which takes us to the heavyweight division. You picked Gon to win tomorrow night. So I guess the question is, do you think after he wins on Saturday, he holds it for the rest of the year? Well, I'm gonna say this. I, I did pick Don to win, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say this. Uh, my, my confidence level in in the gun pick is probably like at a 75, you know. But I'm gonna say this. I believe the winner of this of this fight on Saturday will be the champion at the end of 2022. So I did pick Gon, So I guess I'll say Gon, But if Francis were to win on Saturday, I think he'll be champion at the end of 2022. I completely agree with that take. I think Francis, I picked Francis to win, so I think he will be the champ at the end of this year, but I completely agree. The winner of this fight will still be the champion at the end of the year. I feel like there is such a gap between these two guys and everybody else. I just, I, yeah, the winner of this is, is, I mean, I guess unless they have a rematch and the other guy takes it back, but uh, yeah, yeah. I one think, of the, but either way, one of those two guys will still exactly, be the champion. Exactly, so, you know. exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. So it'll be Francis and Ganu for me, but yeah, the winner is uh, is still going to be the champ by the end of the year. All right, man, that was fun. It'll be fun at the end of this year to review all these as we did the last time around. Uh, so anyway, man, I cannot wait for this fight Saturday. It is going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, I will be uh, I will be on pins and needles all day Saturday waiting on this thing to go down. So great stuff, dude. Yeah, yeah, great great stuff, man. I'm so excited for these fights, man, on Saturday. It's, man, I like you said before, I don't think I've been more excited for a heavyweight title fight. Yeah. You know, since I've been watching this sport and I've seen the the Lesnar and Kane Velasquez, Lesnar, Carwin, uh, DC Stipe, Kane and JDS. Like there's been so many great heavyweight title fights that I've seen, but this one might take the cake, man. This one is such a good matchup and there's so many layers to it. I'm, I'm so excited. Agree 100 percent. And by the way, for everybody listening, uh, the Shuey will be taken on Saturday. So stay tuned for that, um, whether we uh, just video it or something. The Shuey's going to happen on Saturday. So that that's. That's probably what I'm going to do, Will, just to like calm my nerves <laughs> getting ready for this uh, this first pay-per-view of 2022. But it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, buddy. We will catch up next week on the podcast, obviously, but uh, we will be talking this weekend without a doubt. Absolutely, brother. Have a good one. That is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels, and uh, UFC 270 is going to be a blockbuster. Okay.